Well, it's kind of an interesting um, story of how we got to where we are today and who you're about to hear from. Um, this past uh, year, um, Dave and Karen Hind, uh, Karen the cello player and, and Dave the, I don't know, eye candy. Um, yeah, they, they, uh, they both uh, took trips, one uh, kind of uh, graduation trip with their son Griffin to Iceland, and then Karen went back with their daughter Haley on spring break to Iceland, um, which then led her on this quest of trying to just get a sense of, well, what's the spiritual climate like in Iceland? And so she's doing some research and came across this um, church planting organization called the Iceland, Iceland Project. And um, they're helping to establish some churches in Iceland, and uh, for various reasons you'll find out about today. But on the website, there was this picture of this couple, um, Logan and Carla Douglas, who um, are Americans, um, who were preparing to go to Iceland to help be a part of that church planting movement. So Karen, I think, emails them initially, and, um, and then has a FaceTime conversation with them on the phone, um, and then connects him to me. Um, and so we've been talking for about five months or so, once a month, just uh, chatting about church planting and what that's all like since we've been through that process, obviously, and uh, just has developed a, uh, just a, a relationship and, and a fondness for one another. And um, so just talking about, you know, kind of their timeline for leaving and, and uh, come to find out Carla has a sister in Independence um, and her husband's, uh, that pastor, his husband is a pastor in Blue Springs and stuff. So they're like, hey, you know, maybe we can, you can come out, visit your sister, and, um, and then come and speak at Wellspring. So that's how we're here today. Um, they're going to tell you more about kind of their own journey and uh, why Iceland and uh, why we should care about that. So anyways, I'm really looking forward to, we've been hanging out all weekend with them, just great folks. So let's bring up Mr. Logan Douglas. Sure, my mic's on. Okay, good. Good morning. Good morning. Oh, y'all are awake. I like it. I like it. Um, so, from uh, where I'm from, I would say morning, y'all, because I'm from Mississippi. How many of you have ever been to Mississippi? And did you notice anything fun to do in Mississippi? No, just a lot of green, a lot of uh, cows. That's kind of what we have surrounding Mississippi. Uh, and so I'm very thankful to be in Missouri. Uh, I'm thankful for the hospitality of Wellspring Church. Y- your church family is incredible. Uh, I love seeing what God's done through this church and in this community. And I'm thankful for your pastor. Uh, pastor Bob is awesome, has been a blessing in my life. Uh, and just in the past couple of months, learning about church planning and learning about the community that y'all have created here um, in St. Joseph and just the way that you're reaching lives. Um, helping heal brokenness and mend wounds uh, and just really uh, be connected with one another in real fellowship, real relationships, doing real life together. So uh, it's something that I pray you don't take for granted. I've been in the Bible Belt all of my life, and I would say, and I'm going to share some of my story, um, it's not as common as it ought to be. Churches are not as uh, welcoming to the outcasts, to the broken, to the hurting, as they ought to be. And so having a church that cares about those things, which means they care about what Jesus cared about, the broken, uh, those who are the outcasts, those who were 
were hurting and in need of, of someone to come along with a word or with water or with just embrace, uh, that's what Jesus did, and that's what we are to do as, as his followers, as people who've been redeemed and have been uh, restored and reborn. And so I want to spend some time early on just telling you a, a little bit about me, because uh, there's this odd, bald-headed, tattooed man from Mississippi standing before you. I need to give you some context as to how this happened. Uh, so here we go. Born and raised in Mississippi, uh, grew up in a in the shadow of my grandfather. He was a Baptist pastor um, at a small church called Strong Hope, which I love the name of that, Strong Hope Baptist Church um, in Wesson, Mississippi. None of you have ever heard of it. You've only heard Wesson in relationship to a firearm. And so there's a small town in Mississippi called Wesson. And my grandfather uh, was a great man of God. He loved his community died in 1990 when I was four years old, mowing the grass of a overweight church member who was just unable to mow his own grass. That's the kind of pastor, uh, shepherd, just friend he was. And uh, shortly after that, my father was diagnosed with terminal cancer. Uh, He died in 1991, leaving my mom and four children and it was really tough. That was a really tough season. My sister ran away from home. She was 16. My brother, my older brother, was 14. He uh, started getting bad off into drugs and started doing just rebellious things, shooting out streetlights, breaking mailboxes, shoplifting, robbing. Uh, and it, you can just imagine what that did to my mom. Um, my mom grew up, uh, her father was an alcoholic. Her mother was physically and verbally and emotionally abusive. So in that kind of just situation of hurt, my mom kind of retaliated to the only thing she knew what to do, which was to hurt. And so I took the brunt of that. So at age five, I started regularly getting abused, physically abused, um, to the point that in third grade, child services was called to the school to take pictures of my backside um, from the lashes I had and I was threatened to be put into foster care. Uh, My way of soothing was to eat, and so I was a very large uh, child, and so that meant school wasn't so fun. I got bullied. Um, So life wasn't great. I think the first time I contemplated suicide, I might have been in the first grade. Um, Later in the sixth grade, I had had an unsuccessful attempt um, and just life was not great. And I blamed God for it. Uh, I didn't think that God cared enough about me. God cared enough about my situation. And so I was just mad at God. I was mad at uh, God's people, the church. Uh, we kind of church hopped. And then when we would go to churches, there just wasn't really people who were trying to, to get into our lives. Um, I was a weird kid. If this gives you any inclination that I might, like, this isn't a recent weirdness. I was a weird kid. So I was tough to love, I think. Um, I just, I was an oddity in Mississippi. I didn't hunt. I didn't fish. I didn't play sports. So most males in Mississippi didn't understand what to do with this weird unicorn thing that I was. I don't know what to do with this kid. He doesn't do anything. He just sits and watches Jeopardy. That's 
That was my life. Um, how many of you watch Jeopardy? Is anyone else? No one? One. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, two or three. Uh, very nice. Jeopardy's fun, guys. I'm just... Alex Trebek, is, he's, he's the man. Anyway, so life was hard. Uh, and so in high school, I kind of I started losing weight. I started running. Uh, people get less mean in high school. So if you're here today and you're in high school and you're bullied, um, like people get kinder. I'm not going to say people always are kind. The world's hard, but it gets better. I mean, you, you get new friend groups, especially in college. I got new friends, uh, and it was, it was just a really great situation because you get to kind of go out and, and redefine yourself to a certain extent and find who you are and not feel like you have to hide who you are, hide um, the things that you like, hide the things that make you you. Uh, I feel like sometimes in high school, we, Dave and I were talking about this, you, you feel like you can't say those things. Like, I couldn't say, I love Jeopardy. Like, I just <laughs> felt like that would not end well for me in Western Mississippi. <laughs> like, just didn't need to make things worse. Uh, and so I kind of, I kind of, Stop being mad at God, but I just was really indifferent. I was like, you stay in your corner of the universe, I'll stay in mine, we'll just agree to disagree, it'll be great. Um, and so in college, I made people like my project. Like, I, I, I found out I was really good at counseling, I liked being there for people, really in a way that people weren't there for me, I was very empathetic. Um, and here's something I realized, there was a lot of hurting people who just needed people to listen. Uh, not necessarily to give them like input to, to speak, but just to like one-on-one, I value you. This time I have, I won't get back. We don't get more time. So for this time right now, you are the most important thing in my life. And what that meant to people, like there's people who don't have that. They just go day in, day out, and no one's just willing to hear What's going on in their life? And so I tried to be that for people. Uh, and I was, uh, by just God's wiring, I was good at it. But I couldn't be all things to all people, and I was broken. I ignored a lot of what was going on in my heart, the hurt I had had for years, and how I kind of just put this facade of, I'm great, it's fine. I know I was beaten. I know I was abused. I know I've lived on my own since I was 17. Like, it's great. It's fine. Not a big deal. That's not true. That's never true. It catches up to you. And it did. Uh, I, I got into just pursuing fleshly desires and pursuing the things of this world. I thought uh, tattoos and motorcycles and this is going to be really weird, but cage fighting and like, yeah, my, my resume is weird, guys. I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and tell you. I've been a piercer uh, at a tattoo shop. I've been a bouncer. I've been a cage fighter. Um, I was in the Army, active duty for 12 years. I was de- deployed to Iraq. I was a junior varsity academic team coach. <laughs> been, been a waiter. I was assistant manager of a blockbuster and yeah, it's just, my life's been fun. Uh, and so this idea of, of like, people are my project, but I'm not going to deal with me. And that caught up to me. Uh, I was living in just a very uh, fleshly relationship with a girl, uh, and uh, 
she cheated on me. And it was with someone that was one of my best friends who was married. And I knew his wife. I knew his two kids. It was a really messy situation. And I just decided that I was going to end my life. This is, I'm done. I'm tired of people hurting me. And by God's grace and kindness, in a very miraculous way that we don't have time to go into, he used a buddy of mine who's still in my life, who's an atheist, uh, to intervene. And I was, I had to go sleep on my office floor because I was so scared of what I was going to do. Um, and God kind of was kind to me in that moment in, in just showing me that there were other things to live for, that it wasn't as hopeless as it seemed just looking at that situation. That I didn't have the right perspective on what God had, had done in my life. And I wasn't even like a, a genuine, I would say a genuine Christian. Like I'd been baptized and I had said a prayer. That's what Mississippians do. We're in the Bible Belt. It's just kind of a thing. You go to VBS, you do it because they're like, do you want to go to hell? No, I don't want to go to hell. <laughs> Say this prayer, go get wet, you're good. It's like, you're safe. And so I was like, that, that's easy enough. And so that was my life. That was my life. I was like, I'm a Christian, why? I got wet that time. I said that prayer. <laughs> I'm not going to hell. But I missed the whole hope and love of Jesus. Like the hope, the joy, the peace. I didn't have any of that. So I like, I deployed. I was miserable. People were afraid. I got on steroids. You can't tell now. But people were terrified that I was going to shoot up everybody. Like the chaplain was coming to see me. He's like, hey, bud, you okay? <laughs> I was like, yeah, preacher man, I'm great. Um, and so, yeah, I come back home from Iraq. I'm miserable. I've been cheated on by the who was my fiance, who was a friend, with a friend. I get married. I get divorced. It's just like nuts. And then I meet my now wife, who is a, what I call super Christian, what just meant that she actually went to church weekly. She actually, like, she wasn't living in sin, or if she was, she was really good at hiding it. Uh, she talked about God like he was a decent dude, like that he was good. I was not a fan. And I was like, what is it that makes you this joyful? She had mess. And the church that she invited me to had mess. And so all these people had mess, but they had a joy that I didn't have. I was like, I got the mess, but I don't have the joy. And it really, it made me question who God was. Like, was I wrong? Is he not actually a dirtbag? Like, have I, is my perspective skewed? Where have I not seen God's kindness and his provision in all of this? Have I just been looking at my hardships and not looking at the blessings? Have I been just so focused on not getting what I wanted and just ignoring where God had protected me, where God had brought people in my life? And it might not have looked the way I wanted it to look, but it was, it was still God's kindness. And so in that time of me wrestling with God, I finally just realized I can't do this without him. And I realized I hated my mom and that that was this big hurdle of me not being able to embrace God and to accept the forgiveness in Christ because I couldn't forgive my mom for what she had done, which really was uh, an illuminating thing later on. It's like I was ignoring the fact that my mom grew up beaten 
in a horrible home with an alcoholic father and a terrible divorce that happened between her dad and her mom and this just really toxic situation. And I wasn't empathizing with her. I was just like, how dare you do this to me? How dare you do this to me? And I'm not saying what she did was excusable, but it's understandable. I wasn't extending her the kindness that I would have liked extended if I had hurt someone. It's like, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do it. It's just I'm wounded. A wounded animal sometimes bites those that are trying to help them. And so I come to faith, and it was a glorious just freeingness of, of being embraced by God and feeling the love of God and wanting to love him in return. And, and that just was this a beautiful moment. And I got introduced into the church. I didn't know what the church was. I grew up in the Bible Belt. I had heard of churches. I had been to churches. But if you don't see what the church is in the Word of God, you don't know that it's a redeemed people. It's not some Christian country club. It's not some social organization. It's not the building you go to. It's the people. And that was so helpful for me in my young Christian walk at 27 uh, of being someone who had been hurt, who had had a life that was really painful, seeing that there were these... I didn't have a dad from, for 22 years. My dad died when I was five. My older brother was very absent in my life. And having a church where older men poured into me, they were fathers to me, helped me understand the Bible, helped me understand what it meant to be a Christian, helped me understand what it means to be a guy who's trying to pursue a girl, helped me understand, like, life. I didn't have that. I was trying to make it on my own. The church did that. Having people who were friends who, you know, I thought I had to hide all this. I hid my tattoos from those people for a long time. I showed up in my military uniform. I was afraid of getting stoned. That's why I thought of churches. Like, oh, show up at a church with tattoos. They take you out back. You don't come out. <laughs> it's like... I've, I've watched, or watched movies about the Salem Witch Trials and the Scarlet Letter. Like, I kind of had this idea. And so I wore my military uniform a lot. Because <laughs> I was like, you're not going to judge me now. <laughs> and eventually just being able to be vulnerable and transparent because I was reading in Scripture, I was like, this is the place that I'm supposed to weep and you weep with me. I'm supposed to rejoice, you rejoice with me. You're supposed to love me. You're supposed to help bear my sins. Like, you're supposed to encourage me. And we can't be strangers. And that happened. Like, we can't just show up and, like, have that weird moment that some churches have to where it's like, hey, we're going to spend 10 seconds, greet those around you, and then don't talk to them ever again. Like, it's, it's like, who are the people I'm doing life with? And that was the church for me. So, fast forward. Why Iceland? I... Realized very shortly I was called to ministry. I started doing overseas ministry. I've been to Moldova and I've been to Guatemala. Um, I started doing inner city ministry, teaching Bible study to eight and ten year old boys, um, which was awesome. I was a mentor to one of them whose name was Quay. I used to take him to go get burgers at the place where I met my wife. It's kind of nostalgic. Like, ah, I met Carla here. Um, And in 2016, I stumbled across an article. Now, before we go to the article, I want to read a a, a bit of scripture, okay? We are at church. I feel like scripture is appropriate. Um, And it's Titus 2, 11 through 14. 
And it says this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself up or gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. The reason I have this up here is because the church that we're, Lord willing, going to start is going to be called Redeemer City Church. And so this redemptive aspect of Christ is, I mean, this is the gospel. Renounce ungodliness, worldly pleasures were saved by Christ, our Savior, for himself, like this idea that we are that near and dear to him that he wants to possess us, he wants to redeem us, like all of the hurts, all of the hang-ups, everything to redeem us. And so I just love that verse. But why Iceland? Well, it had something to do with this article that I read in Iceland magazine in 2016. Now, at the time, I was a young adult pastor at a church, and so when you see something like this, you're like, wait, I thought Iceland was a Christian country because it, it's, it is a Christian country. It's one of the seven nations that's still left with a national Lutheran church. I was like, how do you have a state church? And yet all those under 25 years who are the people I was ministering to, none of them believe that God created the world. Like, that's, that's weird. And so I started doing some digging, and I ended up finding uh, the Iceland Project, which I'm now a part of. And I watched a documentary called Christian by Default, and uh, we're going to watch a clip from that documentary about what's the deal with the numbers. Like, people call themselves Christians, but what's the deal with this? So, watch this clip. Automatically happens, you know, for us, I guess. 
We can, we can stop it there and just go to the next one, Camden. So, they're not Christian, 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 right? <laughs> How many of you have met people who've said things like that? Anyone? What's some common things that you meet from people who grew up in the church, but then they, they have left the faith? This is interactive time. What are some things that you've heard people say about their reasons walking away from the faith or walking away from the church? Yes. I like the church, but I don't like the people. I've heard that. I felt judged. They just want money. Passing around that tithing basket. So it's, it's this idea of, of it's, it's an organization that just wants money. The people are hypocritical and they judge people. And like I like what they kind of stand for, but the people inside of it are, are just judgmental, hypocritical, they're cold, gossiping. And I would say, I think most people in Iceland would, would agree with that assessment. Like this, I, I, I'm not a Christian, Christian, Christian. It's like, I've, I've, I don't like the church. And what's interesting about the church in Iceland is the fact it is a national church. It's funded by the government. You heard one person, uh, one female say, I, I'm going to sign out because I'm tired of giving them money. They actually tax people to pay for the church. So if you're in Iceland and you're born and your parents are in the church, you automatically are in the church. And at a certain age, you're confirmed, which means you get presents and that's a lot of presents from what I understand. So people want to be confirmed. They want to get the presents. And then at a certain point, the church you're registered at, you, you, your tax money goes to it. So imagine people in Iceland are walking around saying, I'm a Christian because I've been confirmed in the church. I have a document. And I tithe. It comes out of my taxes. But yet they never attend church they don't believe the gospel. They don't believe that Jesus is who he says he is. They don't believe that he, like he was a good teacher, he was a moral guy. Things we hear all the time. But imagine if the government endorsed that you are a Christian. But they're not seeing the community. They're not seeing the trueness of what it means to be a member of the body of Christ. What it means to, to live life with people. And Icelanders have a lot of crazy views. Like uh, Camden, go to the, yeah. They believe in elves. More people believe in elves in Iceland than they do in Jesus. That's true. Not only that, they believe in pagan gods. They believe in, in gods like Thor and Odin. And paganism is the fastest growing religion in Iceland. So they're willing to believe these things more so than they are Jesus. And Iceland is touted as being one of the happiest countries in the world, yet one-third of the university students are depressed. They're number one in consumption of antidepressants. 
Teenage girls have risen in, in percentages of those who take antidepressants, and men are 16 times more likely to commit suicide. It sounds like a people without hope. It sounds like a people without, without understanding of, of what it means to be connected to Christ and to his body. To have something that outside of themselves that is able to give life to them, breathe life into them. And so drugs, like morphine addiction, is high among children in Iceland. Not only that, we see pornography is high among young children. These are common symptoms of, of people looking for joy and satisfaction and fulfillment in things that are not Christ. I did it. Many of us struggle still today with, with trying to find joy and satisfaction and fulfillment and pleasure in things that are fleeting, things that are momentary. But Jesus says in John 15, specifically at the bottom of this verse, he says, these things I have spoken to you. He's, he's teaching about him being the life source. He is the vine. We are the branches. That he is the one who provides us nourishment for our souls. And he says at the, the last verse, verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that you may, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus comes and promises us fulfillment of joy. And when we don't have that, we know we see people struggling with trying to, to manufacture that in all kinds of ways and to find it in all kinds of ways that, that are not satisfying. And this is a state of many Icelanders. And when they think of the church, they don't think of Acts 2. How many of you know what Acts 2 is? What is it? The first church. So it's a first century church post-Pentecost. So Peter's preached a message. 3,000 people have come to faith. This is after the Holy Spirit has fallen on them at Pentecost. And this is describing the early church. We see fellowship. We see togetherness. We see giving to those who had need and selling possessions for a common good, for a common purpose of just living life together, unified. Making sure that everyone has what they need. Everyone is in relationship with one another and they're just living life together. This is not the church that Icelanders know. And so this is what stirred in my heart, this idea of us planting a church in Iceland. And so that church is Redeemer City Church of Reykjavik. That's what we're hoping to plant. And we're hoping to be a part of the greater project of the Iceland project where we see more churches be planted. And I want to tell you right now just about some of the people that have been affected by the church that is there. Lofstefan uh, Baptist Kirka. Did I say that right? The Upper Room Baptist Church. So you have people like Hildur. Hildur was a girl. Uh, she's in her 30s, low 30s, about our age. Came to the church kind of as a dare. She had a friend be like, why don't you find a church that's not like the state church. Find a church that is hip, cool, and actually has community. And so she found this church. She was like, I kind of want to see what that's like. A church that actually is, has community. And she, in her interactions with people who were interested in who she was, 
what her likes, dislikes, what things like baggage she was holding, like how could they love her and serve her? She came to faith. And not only that, she quickly became someone who serves on the worship team. She got involved in the life of the church. And then she got diagnosed with a brain tumor. And you want to know who loved her through that? Who prayed with her? Who sat with her as she cried? And who just was, walked with her through that whole situation? Her church family. And she was able to weather that storm. She's, the tumor's been reduced by God's grace. It's awesome. Uh, she's joyful. She was joyful even through all of it, through the hurt that people were able to just still love her. And she was so thankful that God had given her this group of people to walk through this hard time with. That's the true church. Or you have people like um, Friedberg, who grew up in a church that was void of community, reading scriptures like Acts 2 and going, I don't understand. Where are these people who are supposed to love me, love one another? Who are these people that are supposed to encourage me? Who are the people that are supposed to rejoice and weep with me? And they weren't, they weren't there. And so Friedberg and his wife Christine, along with Gunnar and Swaba, who are the people who started that church, said, we want to make a church where people love one another, where people aren't strangers, where people don't just show up, check a box, and leave where they actually live out what we see Jesus modeling for us and being relational, being in one another's lives. And then we see people like Wojciech. Wojciech is a Polish guy who's lived in Iceland for 10 years. Polish people are not looked upon well in Iceland. They are second-class citizens at best. So Wojciech has lived there for 10 years and felt like an exile. Imagine living in a country where you don't speak the language and nobody wants to be your friend for a decade. That's prison. Not starving for human relationship and Wojciech finds his church where people who are Icelanders love him. Unlike his neighbors in the city he lives in and they're telling him that God loves you in Christ and that that all of these things that you're dealing with, we're with you. We're here for you, and God is for you. He is not against you. He loves you. And it changed his life. And so we want to see churches like that planted. And so we're going to go through some slides. This is kind of our prospectus. Uh, it's very information heavy. We're just going to skip through them. Uh, so the next one. So Iceland has like a Christian ghost. They've been a Christian country as a country. They literally declared themselves Christian in the year 1000. This is their national anthem. And if you want to, to hear or to read this more than just what you're doing, find me, I'll get this to you. But it's like Psalm 90, pretty much. So their national anthem is a psalm, which is pretty cool. And then next we have some staggering statistics about those who are atheists. Iceland is one of the top atheistic countries in the world. Over 10% of the population says they're atheistic. And of those who proclaim that they're a Christian, less than 10% of them go to a church on a regular basis, which means they're disconnected from a community of faith. And even if they did go, their non-attendance probably speaks to the fact that when they go, nothing... It, there's no community, there's no love, there's no relationship. So why go? Why wake up and go to this big building full of strangers? Not only that, you see how much of the population lives in Reykjavik, 
which is where we want to plant the, the church, two-thirds of the population lives in or around Reykjavik. The next slide we have talks about the foreign population. There's a lot of Polish people, Lithuanians uh, and Filipinos, who speak English, not Icelandic, hence why we want to plant an English-speaking church. But we want to see Icelandic-speaking churches go out. So our long-term goal is to see churches that are what we call gospel-centered, meaning we have been saved by the gospel and our relationships are gospel-centered relationships. Our community is gospel-centered community. What does that mean? We love like Jesus. We love like Jesus. We love God. We love others. We love our neighbor. We love our enemies. We're all about love and relationships here. Jesus came in flesh to love us, and we keep doing that. That's what we want to see. And so the next slide will, will tell you kind of our aim is to hit the English speakers, but also... I was a young adult pastor before this. I love 18 to 25-year-olds. I love college students. I love young professionals. It's just an age group that I think is, is so You're trying to figure out life. Like, who am I? What am I going to do? And there's just a lot of, a lot of opportunities for people to, to just feel isolated, to feel wounded, to feel lost, to feel broken. And so we want to focus on those two groups, English speakers and young adults. The next slide... So this is our vision and our value. So our vision is to connect broken people to the redeeming and transforming love of Jesus. The mission is to lead everyday people to know Jesus, grow to love Jesus, and I can't see that, then live and go for Jesus. And our values are super simple. It's a, greatest, it's a great commission and the greatest commandment. Love God, love others make disciples, live sin. What does that mean? It just means that we have a vertical love and it makes us horizontally love everybody. No one is outside of the love of Christ in his people. We are called to be people who are known by our love. And so that's what we want to do. We want to love God well. and We want to love people well. And we want to live to make disciples. What does that mean? It just means we're relational. We're investing in people's lives so that when they go, out into their workplace or to their neighborhood or to their home, to their school, that they're seeking to do the same thing. We just continue to love, and God's love spreads through us. And the live sent is just that, like, man, we're all on mission field. Our lives, our money, our homes, our everything should be for the purpose of making Jesus known and for the healing ministry and the restoration ministry of Christ to impact as many broken people as possible. So that's really our, our heart. That's what we want to see happen. And there's some verses that I wanted to share, like the Great Commission, the Great Commandment. This is where we get our, our missions statement, our values. You can go to the next one, Camden. And so, again, more strategy. We can skip that. We can skip that one. Icelandproject.org. If you want to find out more information, as Karen did and Dave, you can go to Icelandproject.org, or you can come talk to us. Um, more information about how you can give, how you can pray, how you can partner, and maybe join. Like Maybe some of you are stirred right now in the fact that, man, Iceland sounds awesome. I think I would like to go and be a part of what God's doing in Iceland. Come join us. And then the last one, just ways you can connect. We're on social media. 
You can come and find us uh, and just figure out ways that you can connect with the people who are on the ground in Iceland and just what God's doing in Iceland. Next. And here I just wanted to point out in Matthew 9 that Jesus talks about he didn't come to, to seek the well, the people who are fine, the people who are healthy. He came to seek those who are lost and broken and sick. Not the righteous, but the sinners. And then he says in the same chapter that we should pray that God would send laborers into the harvest. And that's what I hope each and every one of you is praying for, not just uh, for us in Iceland, I pray that, but here in St. Joseph, that God would continue to just send people into the community to love with a with a love that is transforming, that is healing, that is restorative. And I thank you for your time. I'm going to turn it back over to Pastor Bob now. Hey, so on your way out today, back on the back table back there, there's some just little cards, just some reminders for you to pray for them. You can put on your... Um, fridge, and uh, you can also meet them back there uh, and talk to them a little bit, ask them some questions. And um, so, why why did we bring these people here today? Um, well, I think if you know, you know, kind of our mission statement, right? Creating a new normal for the next generation. Um, that's exactly what they're trying to do, just in a different place. Um, and you hear some of the the similarities and the value and uh, the passion for young adults, and um, you know, meeting. Uh, a group of people who are lost um, with the saving message of Christ um, in a way, hopefully, that can transform a nation. Um, and so we're excited to partner with them. So today what we're going to do is we're going to ask you for your money. And um, yeah, that's why you love going to church, right? So um, no, but honestly, they've been in the process of raising money to move over there. They're doing an amazing job. I mean, the last time I talked to you, it was like you had like 85% of your budget, 90% of their budget raised to go. So awesome, which is a great sign. That means people are behind them. Um, and so we're just going to take an offering today during this uh, time of, of worship and um, communion. And so the usher is going to pass the plate. And if you'd love to come alongside them and just encourage them in that way, uh, we'd love for you to, to give um, towards that. If you write a check, just put um, Iceland. We'll, we'll know who to give it to. Okay. Um, one of the things today as we kind of focus on the table this morning is this um, reminder that Jesus' body was broken and poured out for everyone. He cares about the lost people in Iceland, <laughs> just as much as he cares about you and I and the lost people in our community. And sometimes our perspective can get really small, and we forget that we serve a really big God who gave his life for billions and billions of people, and equally created them in love, they're equally in need, um, and we have a responsibility to be broken and poured out so that anyone and everyone can hear about that saving message. We want everybody to know Christ. And so as we come to the table today, just be reminded of this global church that we're a part of, that in every continent in this world today,